What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours, late evening hours, of Friday, May 26th, 2023. Hope everybody is kicking off their Memorial Day weekend with friends and family. Hopefully you get outside. That's what I'll be doing this weekend. Going up to the family farm, northern Missouri, kind of rural. That's the way I like it. Yes, that means no Wi-Fi. We'll see if I'm able to, to scrounge together some B-Shape Daily. But I wanted to make sure to get in here with everybody one last time before the holiday weekend to talk about Matthew Libertor and his start Friday night. Spent a lot of time on B-Shape Daily Thursday breaking down and diagnosing where I felt the Cardinals were or needed to be when it came to this looming decision. I'm going to call it a decision because I think it should be one. Technically, you could just do nothing, and the incumbent Stephen Matz remains in the rotation. I suppose you could also, if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, keep Libertor in the rotation too. Maybe you continue going with a six-man rotation. I don't think long-term that works for the Cardinals, though. I think they've been pretty reluctant over the past week. It's almost as though once they announced, hey, we're going to a six-man rotation, it's as though every day since then they've regretted it because of the strain they have felt on a daily basis as Ollie Marmol meets with Dusty Blake, meets with the staff, meets with the pitching staff, and wondering whether they're going to be able to get through that day with the bullpen pitchers that they have available. It's been stressful. I think that's the reason that the plan for Libertor changed back and forth so many different times over the course of the week. Well, he's going to start. Don't worry. Well, maybe not because we might need him as a reliever. Okay, we didn't use him as a reliever, so we think we're going to start him. Eventually, they settled on Friday, and the Cardinals lose the game 4-3 to in Cleveland. Matthew Libertor gave up four runs in this game, but if you just checked the box score and saw five innings, four runs, and you didn't actually watch the game, I reckon that you'd be more disappointed than you should be when it comes to evaluating Matthew Libertor and how he did on Friday night. I thought he looked pretty good. He ran into some of the same problems that we have seen from him in the past and that I would argue we saw from him in his first outing which was a good one against Milwaukee, the five-plus innings, no runs allowed. But some efficiency issues for Libertor, and that kind of makes you groan because haven't we spent the entire Cardinals season to date talking about efficiency issues in the starting rotation? Well, yes, we have. So why is it different for Libertor, or is it different for Libertor? Should we be holding him to the same standard? that we've held the Cardinals starting rotation to all year when we've said, hey, they haven't gotten enough innings. They haven't supported the team enough with the way they've performed. I'll get into that tonight on B-Shape Daily and tell you whether I stand by what I said Thursday. As you recall, we left off Thursday with me saying, unless there's just an absolute atrocious outing from Libertor, where you start to question whether he can even basically match what Steven Matz has given this team, ERA in the upper fives, probably four to five innings per outing. Like, unless he goes two innings and eight runs, I was kind of thinking, hey, let's make this change more permanent. Let's get Matthew Libertor into the rotation, into a five-man rotation. Stop it with the six-man stuff so that you don't continue killing the bullpen that way. And let's put Steven Matz in the bullpen where we think he could maybe thrive. And I did even more research 
on Friday afternoon that landed me firmly entrenched in the opinion that I have on Stephen Matz. So I'll give you some of that information as we go along tonight, and I'll also evaluate what we saw from Libertor and maybe what we're hoping to see moving forward. Appreciate you guys joining me for this episode of B-Shape Daily. Make sure you're following B-Shape Daily on Spotify. Got four new Spotify followers. If you haven't signed up yet, even if you listen on another medium, would love to get you on Spotify following. That just helps me because I do run this podcast through Anchor, which is now called Spotify for Podcasters, and they really like it when I get my followers up. They might get me some some new, more interesting advertisements you can listen to, things of that nature. Always helps if you follow on Spotify. But the main thing that we're focusing on right now is the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, you've probably seen or heard me talk about it by now. We are closing in on 900 subscribers, and 1,000 is the big total. We're not going to get to 1,000, I don't think, by the end of May, unless you guys back me up, which holiday weekend, I'm kind of giving up on the dream. But I think we can get to 900, and 1,000 is shortly thereafter to follow. So appreciate all the help and support you guys have given me. It's been awesome doing this show all year, doing the content for the YouTube page, doing the live streams and the like. Appreciate you guys so much. Uh, Subscribe if you can. It's free. Only asking about the free stuff right now. You can check out Patreon, too, if you want, but you don't have to. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about this Cardinals loss. 4-3, tough loss. I mean, the fact that they almost make a comeback there, they start to mount a bit of a charge there in the ninth inning. Some really good at-bats, by the way, taken in that ninth inning. I know it's kind of in a losing effort, and so you think, well, no moral victories. We don't need to say, hey, nice try. But I will give a little bit of credit for the way the Cardinals, after really just falling flat against Shane Bieber, wouldn't you like him in your rotation, Cardinal fans? Five innings, nothing against Shane Bieber until they started to kind of begin a a nice little grinding effort. In the sixth inning, they put up a run. Seventh inning, they put up a run. Ninth inning, they score. Lars Nupar with one of the best at-bats of the game. Double the opposite way. They strand him and are unable to get that go-ahead run, tying run, none of it. Can't get him home. And so the Cardinals lose this one 4-3. But I thought, man, Newpar is the one that I mentioned that had a really good at-bat there in the ninth inning. I like the at-bat, obviously. Tommy Edmond getting the double to get things going there. There's a couple of grinding at-bats before Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Gorman strike out to end the game. And yeah, the last call of the game was questionable, especially if you subscribe to the Bally Sports Midwest Fox Tracks Strike Zone, whatever box they put on the screen. It's asinine to have it on the screen if it's not right. That's going to be my my soapbox for the night. If you were watching that game, the pitch called strike three by Classe on Gorman there to end the game was high if you're looking at the Bally box. I'll call it the Bally box. If you're looking at that box, it was not inside the box. It was above the box. And there were a couple of pitches on Brendan Donovan last week at Bush Stadium where this exact same thing happened. And you could look at like the StatCast version of it, and it says the pitches were actually touching the top of the strike zone. In this case, I think this one was probably a strike. I still maintain that I don't care what StatCast or anybody else said about those Donovan strikes a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely not. Those were too high. The one on Gorman, though, today, I knew immediately. I was like, yeah, that's just barely above the, the Bally box. And the Bally box, I think, is a little bit too small. And so this was a call that Cardinals fans were probably going, oh, my gosh, robbery. 
but it's like y'all remember the Gallegos call on Mookie Betts from last weekend, right? It all kind of evens out. All comes out in the wash. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, yeah, that was a rough one for Cardinals fans because, uh, you know, Gorman's the guy. He's been go-ahead Gorman. You think that he might be uh, about to do something special there. It wasn't meant to be, and so the comeback didn't happen. But let's talk about why the Cardinals were trailing in the first place because, as I mentioned off the top, if you looked at the box score of Matthew Libertor, you're probably thinking, oh, boy, ah, gave up four runs. Oh, man, can only get through five innings. Oh, boy, that's kind of – don't look now, but that's kind of like a Stephen Matt start. Oh, boy. Five hits, two walks allowed, only two strikeouts. 91 pitches to get through those five innings. Pretty similar to the last start in terms of efficiency for Libertor. 51 strikes, 40 balls. There for a while, he was about a 50-50 split. So he's, he improved upon that a little bit toward the end. But granted, they were swinging and putting a lot of balls in play against him. And so those are credited as strikes. In that fifth inning, it's when all the damage happened. First four innings, despite the fact that he wasn't super efficient, his stuff looked good. Mid-90s, curveball was working. I like that he is the one Cardinal starter that when he tries to spot a fastball up in the zone, you don't break out in hives watching it because those other guys, it's like, oh, that's going to get hammered. I felt like for the most part, especially until that fifth inning, Libby was very effective with how he was spotting the fastball and not putting it in danger. When he's going up, when he's climbing the ladder, he was doing so on the corners. Yes, there were a number of non-competitive pitches where you make your miss so drastic that the, the batter's not going to be fooled, whether it's a fastball or an off-speed. Batter's not going to be fooled, and so you basically wasted a pitch. Wasn't competitive. Didn't have a chance of drawing a swing. There are times when you'll throw a ball, but you'll do it on purpose. You want to try to get a chase, but you're doing it with intent. I, I think a lot of those kind of pitches today for Libby were maybe a little off the mark. Didn't didn't get him close enough to to give the hitter really something to think about. And that's something that I think comes with time. There's an art to that. Jack Flaherty talked about the art of pitching. That's the art he's talking about. And so I understand maybe you could be a little skeptical to say, well, is this really all that different from Steven Matz? I thought it was, especially when you look at the way those runs came in the fifth inning. Bunch of singles against him. And then the floodgates sort of open up when you get a ground ball that is – another case of climbing the ladder and getting the guy to pound the ball into the, the ground to the left side. Just a really good pitch, I thought. But it's a good pitch if Nolan Arenado is anywhere that makes sense. I get that he is the best defensive third baseman in Major League Baseball, and he's the best I've ever seen. I think he's better than Scott Rowland ever was, and Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer in part because of his defense. Arenado is tremendous. I cannot stand it, though, when I see him playing as far in as he was on a bases loaded, nobody out with Matthew Libertor on the mound in the fifth inning of a game. I hated it. Off the bat, I thought, excellent. That's a double play. They're going to get Libby out of this with some minimal damage. Sure, a run's going to score. 
But now you're an out away from getting out of the thing only down by one. And I cannot stand the way the Cardinals are pretty stubborn about this, I think. And this goes back to, remember, the wild card game, the blow up in the ninth inning. Ball gets by, I think it was Tommy Edmond playing second base because they had the infield drawn in. And you got the exact ground ball you wanted to get out of the jam, except you got a little bit overly zealous and over aggressive, and you're you're playing in to try and cut a run down to the plate. In the wild card game, I maybe could understand it because one run could be the difference in your season. But on May 26th, with Matthew Libertor making his second start, I hated it, man. Matthew Libertor got the exact round ball that he needed, and Nolan Arata was playing up the line, and in. It's a ball that goes right to him if he's at his normal depth at third base. And he, being the all-world fielder that he is, at that point would be able to make a decision. Okay, runner going from second to third. Should I tag him? 5-3 double play? Do I have time to throw to second base? To start a 5-4-3 double play? Could I still go home even though I'm not playing in? The answer would have been no to that. And so, yes, in in essence, you're conceding a run. And that's why the Cardinals don't do it. You'll never see him concede a run. They play aggressively. They believe they've got the infield to make those kinds of dazzling plays and save runs, and they do it all the time. Hated it with Libertor on the mound. I don't know if people agree with me on this. Shane Bieber on the mound. Cardinals hadn't done anything offensively. And so it may very well be that if they score a run in that inning, it may as well be five because you kind of figure as the manager – we got to keep this nothing, nothing because we only might get one or two runs today. So we got to give give our pitching staff every opportunity to get out of this completely unscathed. To me, that's biting off more than you can chew. Bases are already loaded, nobody out. You're going to give up a run. You might not. Something very fortunate might happen. You might get a lucky bounce. But to me, I am playing that safe and saying, I would trade right now getting out of this inning and only being down one nothing. And this was not hindsight for me because this is always how I've maintained I want to see it done. I didn't know Arenado was playing in as far as he was. But I was thinking, hey, you give up a run if you can here, if it means two outs. Get out of the inning and keep your pitcher in the game. He hadn't been super efficient at that point, but he probably gets out of that fifth, maybe 84, 85 pitches if you can get a double play ball that scores a run there. Instead, the inning extends. There's still nobody out because of the base hit. And then a three-run double into the left field corner essentially tanks the day for the Cardinals. It makes it 4 nothing. Worst-case scenario, if you just play normal depth, I'm not saying play, play back, but you got to start accruing outs at that point for Libertor and trust your offense to get you three or four runs in a game. Instead, they basically played as though they needed to give up zero And if they didn't, the game was over. That's honestly the way that it went, too, because you got a scrappy performance from your offense down the stretch, scoring in three separate innings. They weren't getting crooked numbers up on the board, but they were were still taking at-bats. Burleson with a sacrifice fly at one point. You got the line moving with Tommy and then Newtbar with back-to-back doubles in the ninth to to keep it close, to, to draw within one. You had the tying run on second. Like, they were still grinding away especially after they were able to get Bieber out of the game. Bieber pitched really well. He's a he's a really good pitcher. ERA about three. If the Guardians are out of it, he's one of the guys we're talking about to potentially trade for if you're the Cardinals. 
I don't think I'm looking to trade Matthew Libertor, but if I'm the Guardians and I saw what Libby did for the majority of the game tonight, I think, oh, maybe that's somebody we'd be interested in. I don't know that they would be. I don't know that the Cardinals are going to go after Bieber. I'm just speculating. A little bit of a showcase game on both sides if you look at it that way. But when I think about the way Libertor performed tonight, I'm honestly encouraged by it. Yes, he needs to be more attack-oriented is what I would say because the stuff looked good. There comes a mental hurdle as a pitcher that you have to get over, which is I trust that my stuff is good enough to get these guys out, so I've got to be willing to put it in the zone more often and not just try to make the perfect pitch because if, you, if you're too focused on making the perfect pitch, about half the pitches you throw are going to be outside the strike zone and you're going to be out of the game after four or five innings. The difference, though, between Libertor and a lot of the other guys on the staff so far this year is I think his stuff is consistently good. He just, you know, had some some base hits that he gave up and then got a double play ball or at least got a, an out out of it if Arenado isn't playing where he's playing. I just don't get that. And again, the Cardinals have way more access to data than I do. They know what the tendencies of the batter are. Maybe pulling a ground ball down the line is what he normally does. I don't know. But in that spot, I think you're hanging out Libertor to dry. And if it's a different pitcher, I'm actually okay with it. I think it is pitcher dependent. If you're Adam Wainwright out there and and he wants to say, hey, let's go, let's go here and, and try to keep them off the board. We know how we want to do this. Let's be aggressive. It's different. If Jack Flaherty wants that, if Miles Michaelis wants that, I'm not saying Libertor didn't want it. I'm, I'm not saying he had anything to do with it either direction. But as a manager, as a coaching staff, because, again, I don't think a lot of times we go, Ollie's an idiot. Why did the fielder? I don't know that Ollie is legitimately going, hey, Arnado, back up a step. Nope, come in a little bit. Like, he's not micromanaging to that extent. But as a team, I wish the philosophy was a little different in that spot. I don't know why you got to hug the line that way. It's a it's a weird nitpick to have because, again, no team in baseball is in as good of a situation defensively at third base as the St. Louis Cardinals are, having Nolan Arenado. But I felt like they hung out Libertor to dry a little bit. In a game where, you know, you could make the argument that it was kind of an audition. Maybe the team didn't view it that way. Maybe we're going to hear tomorrow, pregame, Ali Marmel will talk to the, the media, and he'll say, oh, I don't know why anybody would say Stephen Matz wouldn't be starting on Tuesday. Yeah, he's our guy. You know, Libertors to Memphis. Didn't you see the press release? Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. But isn't it more defensible if you're a Cardinals team that's just trying to cling to the status quo to be able to say, hey, five innings, four runs is not really any different than what Matt's been giving us. Uh, so we tried it. Libertor, you're back to Memphis. Like, if they do that, you'll be able to look at the box score. And, and I, I, there will be Cardinals fans who, who just hunt the box scores and maybe they miss the game and they go, oh, yeah, I was hoping Libertor could maybe take hold of a spot, but I understand it. And there won't be as much blowback if that, that is the route that they go. Should be. Blowback should be the same because if we always talk about being a process-oriented organization rather than a results-oriented, then I would say the process was pretty sound on that ground ball that Matthew Libertor got to the left side, but the result was defender wasn't there. And then uh, the double that scored three runs sort of took the Cardinals out of this game. I like that they let Libertor continue going and finish the inning. Shows me that maybe they're aware that allowing him to work through some struggles is necessary. Allowing a young player to struggle and then not have to get pulled immediately or lose his job or whatever is the kind of thing that we haven't really seen from the Cardinals in recent years on the pitching side. 
you're a young pitcher and you're getting a spot start for the Cardinals, man, you got to light it up or you're going right back to Memphis. That's kind of been the way it's gone, and that's why you see when trades are made, guys like Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen and others, they go and they have the opportunity to fail for their new teams, especially Sandy is a great example of this because he was pitching for a Marlins team that, yeah, they were going to have him regardless. He knew he had his spot for the full year. And look at the confidence that gives him to turn into the pitcher that he becomes winning a Cy Young last year. I think the Cardinals could use a little bit more of that mentality with Libertor. And I maintain it. Five innings, four runs, especially the way it came. I'm encouraged by it. He needs to be more of an attack-oriented guy. That's the next step for him to be able to be more efficient, get deeper into games as a result. He told us at uh, winter warm-up that he wanted to be a bulldog on the mound. He, he kind of lost that mentality last year. I don't know how bulldog as she was today. I think he needs to remind himself that that was his his goal that he set out to do this year because I don't think he quite had a grasp of that today, but I thought the stuff was still good and the stuff plays. And so for me, I'm looking at the box score and I get it. Nothing's changed, though. I maintain exactly what I said yesterday and what I continued to say and when I wrote an article this afternoon on uh, Friday afternoon for KMOV, I maintain it. I say exactly what I did say. Matt should go to the bullpen. Matthew Libertor should be in that rotation until mid to late July. You give him eight or nine starts. You don't nitpick. You don't threaten to move him out of the rotation. None of that. You give him the same latitude and in the same sort of leash that you had given to Steven Matz to this point. But that should be over because we've seen a sample size now and we kind of know what it looks like. We know what it looks like when things go wrong for Steven Matz and Unfortunately, we, we've seen what it looks like when things go right and that the upside is not all too substantial. The upside is a five and a half innings pitching into the six, but not out of it. And, you know, just falling short of a quality start. That's kind of been the upside for Steven Matson. To me, it's just not enough to maintain the status quo at this point. I'd have a much easier argument for the box score folks if, Libertor had not given up four runs there in the fifth inning. If it's one or two, you could say, hey, man, still progress. That's still worth chasing. Maybe they'll be more skeptical now with the four runs allowed. I just hope the Cardinals aren't. I hope the Cardinals see the way that he pitched rather than the specifics of the results. I thought there was plenty to be encouraged about when it came to Libertor tonight. And I think genuinely when you step away and think about Steven Matz and where we're at with him. There's a case to be made that not only is he past the point where we should be considering him in the rotation, I'll flip it on its head and say that he can actually be a contributor for the Cardinals in the bullpen. Like not just a guy you throw out to the bullpen to be the break glass in case of emergency kind of long reliever, which is antiquated in today's MLB. Like I don't think there's value to having that guy in your bullpen. You don't need it. All seven guys in the bullpen right now are all capable of going two innings if they need to. They'll go one and a third. They'll go one and two thirds. They'll go two and a third. Like any of them could do it on a given day if they had the adequate rest in advance of that start, or I should say that that bullpen appearance. So you don't need one guy that's going to, yeah, he's the guy that's going to throw four innings for us when we're up five or down five. That's such a valuable role. No, it's not. And so you don't need it. I see a lot of fans try to pigeonhole Matts into something like that because they say, well, he is a starter, and so he should be built up, and he could give you those. Yeah, he could, but there's no value to that role because 
the majority of the time, you're not looking for outings from those kinds of guys because, in theory, you're playing in a lot of close games. You're not getting blown out a ton. Maybe you're doing the blowing out and you're putting up eight, nine, ten runs, and, yeah, you need somebody to, to fill the rest of a game on occasion. But it happens so rarely. I don't think you need one guy that's like that's his designated job. You need to be able to utilize all of your relief pitchers in meaningful situations, whether it's these guys I go to in the eighth and ninth when we're up, these guys I, I go to in the seventh if it's a tie game or down by one. These guys can fill the fifth and sixth if anything happens to a starter. They can be the bridge guys. Like everybody's got a role. Well, let me talk about what I think Steven Matz's role should be. And let me know what you think about this. Happy Schaefer 12 on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Spotify. It's considered a follow on Spotify, but do that over there. And uh, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel. One of you guys listening right now could be the 900th subscriber. I don't think there's a real prize for that, but there is my adoration. So that'd be awesome if you did that. Let's talk about this, though. I started digging into the numbers this afternoon, and what I found kind of surprised me. I already thought they should move Matt to the bullpen, but I wasn't really thinking that it was like they should do it because he could actually be good there. At first, I thought just like you, hey, they should do it because that way he's not in the rotation which is a win in and of itself. Steven Matz last year as a starting pitcher for the Cardinals had a 5.70 ERA. Steven Matz as a starting pitcher this season for the Cardinals has a 5.72 ERA. It's virtually identical. But Steven Matz's overall ERA last year was like 5.49. It was lower than the 5.70 that he had as he started. That's because after coming back from the MCL injury last season, Steven Matz was a reliever from mid-September to the end of the line because they couldn't build him back up to be a starter and they figured he's healthy, might as well get some innings out of him, get him back out there. He had five relief appearances and threw five and one-third innings, allowing just one earned run for a 1.69 ERA. Now, that's a very limited sample size, but it was successful. It was different than what we've seen from him when he is a starter, which has been right on the nose of a 5.7 ERA across two different seasons with St. Louis. 10 starts last year, 10 starts this year, identical results. 5.7, 5.72. So was that little bit of success that he had last year as a reliever a fluke? Or could there be something more to that to suggest he could have success in the bullpen? I'm going to go with the latter and, and give Steven Matz the benefit of the doubt here. Because again, a lot of this has been ripping Steven Matz recently. And he's struggled, so I get it. But he's not the only starter that struggled. But he is the one that I do believe has probably the most limited upside to be able to turn into a stalwart in this rotation at this point. And Matthew Libertor is a lefty. He's a lefty. There are a lot of reasons that it feels like Matt should be the one to the bullpen. But rather than the reasons he should be out of the rotation, I really do want to focus on the benefits potentially of him being in the Cardinal bullpen. And this is an important aspect of this. I have I have two more points other than just saying, hey, he did it last year and it was successful, albeit in a brief stint. Here's my next point. Taking a look at his splits this season, and it is absolutely jarring. I don't know what I expected when I looked up these splits, but it is incredible. Against right-handed pitching, Steven Matz, or pardon me, Against right-handed batters, Steven Matz has been abysmal. Right-handed hitters have a 353 batting average, a 408 on base, and a 549 slug 
for a 958 OPS. A 958 OPS against Steven Matz this season. Right-handed batters have that. Basically, all right-handed batters that have faced Steven Matz have combined to be an MVP candidate when they're facing him. 350 and on base at a 400 clip with power, a 958 OPS. Gorman's got a 958 OPS. Does, still, does Paul DeYoung still? No. Paul DeYoung's down to 922 after a bad day today. Gorman's at 981. Goldie's at 920. So the only guy in the Cardinal lineup that has a higher OPS this season than the entire league of right-handed batters have had against Steven Matz this season is Nolan Gorman. That's the only guy. All right, so righties are killing Steven Matz. Lefties, though? Like, you'd probably think, all right, sure, he's been abysmal against righties. The majority of the time, you probably see more righties than you do lefties. And so I imagine he's better against lefties. But, like, the the degree to which he's better was kind of shocking to me because he's actually been genuinely, I would say, good against left-handed batters. They're hitting 189 against him, 268 on base, so probably too many walks still. But a 297 slug, they're not hitting for any power against him left-handed. That's a 566 OPS for lefties facing Steven Matz this season. Maybe that doesn't surprise you as much as it does me because you say, well, he's a lefty pitcher. He should be good against lefties. But we've kind of been under the impression that Steven Matz has just been bad in general, and he has been when you add it all up. But it's been night and day, righties versus lefties. He's a lefty. He doesn't get to face only lefties, though. When he pitches five innings as a starter, he's going to face everybody. But imagine a world where the Cardinals could pick their spots and use Steven Matz where if there's four batters coming up and three of them are lefties, bang, that's your opportunity for an inning and a third. Try to get one righty out, but you'll get to face lefties. You could be strategic about it, and he could actually be good in that role. There's one point, looking at the splits. The other point is, it's not that he would just be a lefty specialist, but I think you could be just like anybody else. An inning and a third, he could do what Cabby does in lower leverage. And maybe he passes Cabby up at some point. Like, I'm not leaving out the possibility that Matts could just simply be good against left-handed batters as a relief man. I know the phrase often comes up, oh, getting so-and-so back from the uh, injured list will be just like making a trade. And you kind of say it mockingly. I roll my eyes when fans say it because it's an overplayed trope that, like, John Mosley doesn't actually say that. He may have said it, like, once ever. And then people just never let it go. It's like the low-hanging fruit thing. But it's overplayed at this point. That being said, putting Steven Matz in the bullpen could be genuinely like trading for a solid left-handed reliever. And right now they've got Hennessy's Cabrera and nobody else out there from the left side. Andre Palante is in that bullpen, and they use him as a lefty because of his reverse splits. But they've only got one guy who actually throws left-handed, Zach Thompson, back in Memphis, uh, trying to, to work himself up to be a starter for later this season or 2024 at the big league level. So they've only got one guy out there anyway. Right now they've got seven relievers instead of eight because of the six-man rotation. You could easily move one of these guys to the, the bullpen, but I sure as heck am not doing it with Libertor. I don't think that's the move at all. No reason to mess with his development, try to stunt the growth there. Ride that out with Libertor and give him the opportunity to do so by taking Mats and putting him in the bullpen where he could be successful. 
So we've covered that he did it a little bit last year and was good at it, pitching out of the bullpen. We've covered that he has the type of splits where if the Cardinals could pick and choose their spots of when he gets into games instead of he just pitches to the entire lineup, we could see the benefit of that because he's actually, even as he pitched so far, like he could change nothing about his his game and be still good and effective against lefties because he's done it all year. 566 opposing OPS. Like, Matz does need to change things about his game to to thrive. I think we all agree with that. But it's remarkable that he actually wouldn't have to do much differently to still be effective if he only or only primarily faced lefties. It's kind of crazy. And imagine this. Other teams know the splits coming into a game that Steven Matz is starting. So what are those managers going to do? They're going to give him as many right-handed bats to face as they possibly can. Can't do that, though, if he's coming in out of the bullpen. So I think that's another advantage to moving Steven Matz to the pen. Here's another aspect I want to bring up that we've talked about before. He makes an average of $11 million a season. I think next, I think it's actually kind of escalating. So next year, it's going to be more like 12 And same thing for 2025. Do you know who else made about $12 million to be a left-handed reliever for the Cardinals? Andrew Miller, and the Cardinals did that on purpose. They signed him to that contract on purpose. Was it sensible in retrospect? Probably not. But was he like the downfall of the St. Louis Cardinals? By no means. He was a contributor and a good veteran presence. Did they overpay? Yeah. But sometimes in the free agent market, when you're signing relievers, that's what happens. So like the elephant in the room of, well, Steven Matz is sure owed a lot of money still by the Cardinals. Would they be able to swallow those optics to move him to the bullpen to basically admit, yep, this was a failed signing. We signed him as a starter, and it's that's not what we're using him for. I mean, I guess there would be some optical thoughts to that. But how many days has it been, how many hours has it been since the Cardinals took their $87.5 million catcher and did the identical thing that we'd be talking about here? Oh, I know we signed him to be our catcher, but he's not going to do that, actually. We don't think he can. Obviously, it ultimately ended up being a short-term situation with Wilson Contreras being sidelined from catching duties, but it happened, and so did the the shitstorm when it came to public opinion on the, the move. It was a disaster for the Cardinals in a PR standpoint. This would not be a disaster from a PR standpoint. This would be people going, oh, yeah, I mean, we kind of, we get it. <laughs> we get it. He's struggled. Steven Matz has not been a good starter. And for me, it just boils down to the upside of him in the rotation has been discovered. We know what the ceiling is, and it's not all that attractive. I'm not saying Libertor will hit his ceiling, but to this point, it's an untapped potential situation. You don't know what he could potentially do until you give him a chance to try. And if it goes bad, if Matthew Libertor ends up pitching basically exactly like he did last year with St. Louis, a 5.97 ERA, You'd be bummed out about that, but at least you would know. You'd say, yeah, you probably shouldn't count on Matthew Libertor for the 2024 rotation unless something changes. But you can't make any sort of determination like that after a couple of starts. You need 10 starts, and probably more than that. But I get the Cardinals are running a business here where they're trying to get to the playoffs. They're trying to mount the comeback here from well below 500. And so they may need to know before July 31st in order to potentially make a trade to fill that spot if Libby cannot fill it. But I feel confident at this point that Steven Matz in his current form cannot fill it. Get him into the bullpen where he could 
potentially have some success against lefties, get to face more lefties, isolate where you can. And then you start to work on wondering how can he be more effective against righties? Well, in a bullpen session, he's not going to have to use five pitches. He'll throw his fastball, which has honestly been fine in terms of velocity. Location's been rough. But 94, 95, his velo's been good. Imagine moving him to the bullpen where it's shorter stints, and now he's maybe throwing 96, 97. Okay, interesting. And remember that changeup that he tips or the curveball that's not breaking the way it needs to for him to be confident in that pitch? Don't throw him. Throw fastball. Maybe toy with using the slider more. Or pick one. Say, yep, I got to work on the changeup. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a fastball changeup guy out of the bullpen. It's not great. You want to have a breaking ball probably, but he could absolutely pare down the repertoire a little bit and be more strategic with the way that he uses these pitches. Be a fastball curveball guy. Scrap the changeup for a little bit. But you're not as reliant on having to throw all four or five of your pitches or whatever it is that you've got because you're not going to have to face these lineups multiple times in the bullpen. Every sign that I can come up with points to Stephen Matz might be better off in the bullpen. Would he be overpaid for his role? Absolutely. But you'd no longer be in a situation where he is harming you and your chance to maybe win this division. It wouldn't make any sense for the Cardinals to keep going with Steven Matz and then you get to the deadline and go, oh man, we really need pitching. Let's trade for somebody. Because then you will have spent that entire time and never really gotten a full look at Libertor. Because I don't think they're going to continue with the six-man rotation. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think they're going to do it. And I don't think they should do it, honestly. I don't think people can handle the mental strain that will be reading the Twitter feeds of the beat writers every day going, oh, is our sixth starter going to be a starter today? Or is he going to have to come in as a, a reliever and then not start this week? Like, it's too much. You're, you're doing too much. Stick him in a role. He's a developing 23-year-old starter, former first-round pick. You literally traded Randy Rosarena to get this guy. Treat him like that. Treat him like it matters whether or not he succeeds because you gave up a really good player to make sure you get him. And so now you got him. Are you going to give him a shot? I think the Cardinals should. It's unequivocal at this point. I, I don't think you'll convince me otherwise. Libertor could be bad for the next five starts, and I'd still go, all right, get me to mid-July. Let's see if he can find it. And then if he can't, you tried. And you could trade for somebody. But to me, it just doesn't make sense to continue chasing Steven Matz. And maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe the Cardinals will stick with it and they'll be rewarded for that. And I've never been one to shy away from it if I get it wrong. I'll go out on the limb. That's where I am right now. Maybe you say it's not even that bold to say the Cardinals should be putting Steven Matz into the bullpen. But I'm putting my name on that to say this is really what I think the the best path forward would be for this team right now. We'll see if the Cardinals agree with that. You know, it was bad. What what happened Wednesday was bad. They maybe will chalk it up to Great American Ballpark for Steven Matz and say, nope, he needs more chances. Or they'll say, nope, he was tipping his changeup, and we, we can fix that. All right. It'll be something else, though, in two weeks. That's the way I feel about it. I, don't th- I, I just think it's time to see what you have in Libertor because there have been enough glimpses that I think you continue to unspool this yarn and see what you've got there. Let me know what you think the Cardinals should do. And more importantly, let me know what you think they will do. Anybody else got a prediction out there? I honestly am a little bit 
up in the air. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say they'll do it. They're going to move Matt to the bullpen because I just think all the signs are pointing to the fact that they should. But maybe there will be something that comes out of left field and another starter is going to be injured and we'll go, oh, this whole conversation was moot. It's Libertor and Matt's in the five-man rotation. But for right now, what do you think they should do? What do you think they will do? Let me know at bshaper12 on Twitter and in the comments section on YouTube. Comment on this video, like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow on Spotify. That is going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I hope everybody enjoys the Memorial Day weekend. Should be some nice weather in and around Missouri. And so if you're living in the St. Louis area, or anywhere in the Midwest, hopefully you are graced with a nice weekend with friends and family. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.